Hello, hello. You found us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. Today, Mike is going to share with us the highlights of his trip to the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And I saw a magic show on Zoom via the Geffen Playhouse. And I want to talk about that. That is called The Present. And I also saw a film called Dick Johnson is Dead, a documentary that I want to share with our beloved boomers. Before we get into that, though, I just did want to highlight this Sunday review from today from the New York Times called End Our National Crisis, The Case Against Donald Trump by the editorial board of the New York Times. It's the whole Sunday review. And so all I can took, say is, is it like the section that's usually the opinion section? Yes, exactly. And it's all devoted to this. It's all devoted to this. Wow. They have and no Maureen Dowd? Maureen Dowd did an interview with Sasha Baron Cohen. The big thing that it says here, I don't know if you can see it, it's on the back. It says, as I've been saying since the beginning, Trump was a mobster, plain and simple. Michael Cohen, Mr. Trump's former lawyer. And it has other quotes by Jim Mattis, Rex Tillerson, John Kelly, Richard Spencer, the former Secretary of the Navy. People saying really damning things about him. And I think it's too late. I wish that this had come out two years ago. Now a warning? <laughs> but it didn't. It's out today. Mm -hmm. I hope it does some good. I feel like it's preaching to the converted, but it does me good to see it in print. Well, there's something nice about seeing the truth printed and you feel less gaslighted, even if it doesn't change any hearts or minds. It is something to take to bed and put under my pillow and sleep on mm -hmm. <laughs> until mm -hmm. the election. So share with me the highlights of your uh, Oh, my your Grand Canyon experience. It was just awesome. I drove to Laughlin, Nevada. I spent the night there. The second day I drove from Laughlin to the Grand Canyon was about a four-hour drive. I got to this little complex where I stayed called Grand Canyon Village. And it was near a kind of a plaza patio type area. And there was this little wall. And I thought, well, that must be the Grand Canyon over there. Now, driving in, I hadn't seen anything. You just see trees and forests. Really? And I think, well, I guess I'll walk over there and look over the wall. And this huge, huh. gigantic expanse of Grand Canyon just opens in front of you. And what? it inspires every cliche in the book. It literally takes your breath away. You just can't believe that there's something this amazing looking that's this vast and this deep and this old and this gorgeous and this preserved and right away you think, God, thank God for Teddy Roosevelt. Anyway, it was just amazing to see it. So I took it in. I went to the restaurant and I went to bed as early as I could because the mule ride the next day, you had to be there at 645. Oh, and I went to register for the mule ride and I had to get all these things. You have to have a strap for your cell phone or camera. If you have glasses, as I do, you have to have a strap attached to them. It goes around your head so they won't fall off. There's all these musts. And at 645, I show up at the corral and I see the mules and I see the guys that are kind of the mule handlers and I meet my fellow mule riders and there are three and they're women roughly within my age range give or take 10 years and a couple of them are accomplished horsewomen I find out later huh. and people won't believe this about me but I'm not a real gregarious person at least at first I tend to be pretty timid in my initial contact with people I warm up slowly but they were so nice and we so we said hello not much else and we got on the mules and we started on our way 
And I was the last person, except there, there's a guide in the very back and a guide at the very front. I'm feeling fine. It's like, this is going to be great. I'm on a mule. It, they're huge, by the way. They're Mules huge. Are, that You sent me that photograph. It was they're, enormous. They're, they're as big as horses. And mine was the biggest one. Oh, and the guy, he must have seen I was nervous because he goes, this is my favorite mule. He's got the best temperament of all the mules. And then we make a turn and we are walking along a cliffside that is oh. straight down and hundreds oh, oh, of feet. Oh, I would feet, have had a problem with that. Oh, hundreds I of feet. And I'm like, oh my God, those cliffsides are intense. And how, and so, how narrow is the path? Now, most of the time, the path is a reassuring width of four or five feet. But some places, especially when you're making a turn, and mostly yeah. the turns are like hairpin turns, the turns tend to be a little narrower. Maybe the narrowest would be three feet. Ooh. But when you're sitting six feet up on a mule, oh yeah, three feet doesn't look too uh, no, reassuring. reassuring. I have my strap. They call it the motivator. If your mule gets stubborn, you have to slap it on its rear haunches with their strap. So that's hanging around my, my wrist. I'm holding it as well because I'm just looking for anything I can hold on to. And then I'm also holding the reins with uh -huh. one hand. And then I'm holding on to the horn of the saddle with the other hand. I'm just gripping everything for all I'm worth. <laughs> and of course, they're noticing that one of the riders is having a little bit of anxiety. <laughs> And they tell you the mules have done hundreds, if not thousands of these. No one's ever fallen. No mule has ever slipped. Their safety record is perfect. But you hear that and it's like nice to hear it. But when you're six feet up on a mule and the cliff yeah. is dropping down like that, yeah. it was yeah. hard. No, I'd have a problem. I kept managing and I kept breathing. I've been doing all this yoga. So I said, breathing can activate the vagus nerve in the back of your spine, which actually releases hormones that make you feel safe. So I'm doing my breathing and the breathing was helping. But we, we go maybe 10 minutes. And we go around a couple of harrowing curves and we come to a little outcropping. And when they stop you, you're supposed to turn your mule to face out. And you're standing side by side that way with your fellow yeah, riders. Got it. And they stop that way every half hour or 20 minutes so you can take pictures and have a drink of water and take a breather. So they stop there and they go, okay, this is the first stop. Anyone who wants to turn back, it's got to be now. Oh. And I, I knew they were talking about me and I was oh. so embarrassed that I just decided, fuck it. I'm going on this trip. I am <laughs> not going to be shamed into walking up that path and going back with my head hanging low. So I stayed with it. Yay. And, and you know, there were parts that weren't so awful, but there were parts that were just so bad. But I slowly got better with it because sure enough, after the first few turns, when you don't fall off the side of the cliff, your body starts to accept the fact that this must be safer than it looks. And so I started to calm down some, but there were parts where I got nervous again. <laughs> I was embarrassed because the woman in front of me, Laura, she was great. We got halfway down and we took a rest, got off the horses at this place called Indian, Indian Gardens. She said, Mike, you're doing really great. She said, I haven't seen people work through the anxiety the way you have and get to this point of comfort. She was oh. so complimentary, but all I heard was, you were really scared shitless, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and then you get more than halfway down and it starts to get a little bit gentle. And after a while, you're walking by the Colorado River and it's gorgeous. Oh. And these cliffs are rising above you, which isn't nearly as scary as when they're yeah. falling below you. And I didn't know the river was going to be included. I said, I didn't sign up for the river trip. I didn't know this was part <laughs> of it. The river, this beautiful rapids river is there next to you. 
and you're going along and there's no hills. It's suddenly it's flat-ish and you get to actually enjoy it. But here's the beauty of it. Fear notwithstanding, the opportunity to see this canyon up close and to touch the rock and to see the different gradations in color and texture and shape was thrilling. At one point, I sort of burst into tears for no good reason, except that I was scared, but the beauty is overwhelming. And you get this sense of, you get this sense that you are making contact with the planet, like with this planet earth, like you're seeing it and touching it. And you feel a sense of connection to the earth and the universe. That's really profound. And then the next day we went back up. It, it was scary again going up, but going up was much less scary because... You're not looking down. Yeah. And the mules are much more sure-footed yes. when they're climbing yeah. than when they're descending. And then I got together with my bridemates and one of them figured out a way to get cocktails from the restaurant out onto the plaza patio overlook. So we got to sit on a bench at the overlook and we had a party oh, out neat. on the grounds watching the sunset. It was an awesome, 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 awesome trip. And I'm so glad I did it. I had a sense that this was going to be a really special trip for you. You had waited for it for so long. You'd planned on this for you have a couple to put of in years. Your you have to enter the lottery a year in advance to get on that damn mule. Yeah. And hadn't you entered it once before? And you I tried it? once before. I tried one month and didn't get it. And then I tried another month and I, I finally got one night. Well, cool. I'm so glad you had a great time. It was fun. Yeah. Good. Well, I had a little adventure. At the Giffen? Yeah. It's called The Present. It was a magic show, The Magician. His first name is Helder. He has an unpronounceable last name that begins with a G. So I'm just going to bypass that name altogether. He was in a room with a deck of cards. And the magic part of it was there were 24 participants that I could only see in, in strips. So I couldn't see all of them at the same time because he was taking up most of the space and they had control over it. I didn't have control over what I saw. So he would pick a number mm -hmm. and each of the participants had a number. So he would call a number and then we would all be able to see that participant. And I have to illustrate what went on in these two instances. In this one case, he had a woman take her deck of cards. Now she had put her deck of cards to the side. There were other people playing with their decks with him. But in this particular case, this one woman was chosen to just leave her deck elsewhere. She got to pick a card from his deck. She picked the five of diamonds. Was he holding the cards away from him so he wouldn't know? No, he could see the cards. Okay. So he gets out the five of diamonds he writes on it, her name, Leslie. He says, or where are you? And she says, we're in such and such California. He says, oh, is that where you're from? She says, no, I'm from Hong Kong. So he writes Hong Kong on the card. And then he writes the date. And suddenly you realize that that card is gone from the deck. It's no longer there. So he asks this woman to open up her deck of cards. And it's sealed. Uh -huh. And she opens it up. She finally gets it unsealed. She has to rip open the card. Uh -huh. He says, what's the card on top? She takes the card on top. And it says, Leslie from Hong Kong, 10, 17, 20. That's so amazing. And it was his handwriting. It wasn't like he could have written it twice. He couldn't right. have written it twice because right. she was there and she was just one of the participants that happened right. to randomly have her number called. Now, how do you and know that she's not a plant? 
how do they make that clear? You know, she could have been a plant, I suppose, yeah. but everything about her was so authentic. He kept saying, hold the deck up, and she'd let her hands like, no, hold the deck, and she'd start to take the card from the wrong side uh-huh. and say, no, 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 don't do that. Take it from the right side, and she'd get all flustered. So there was something that was undeniably authentic, authentic. about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was spectacular. That was toward the end. The last trick was certain people were just watching the show. There were 6,000 people, and this was the finale. This was the last show, and it had run for six months, or six months, as Helder, the magician, said. So people who were the 24 participants, they each got a full deck of cards. The ones of us who paid the extra money, I don't know how many of us there were, but we paid $15 extra, and we got an envelope. And in the envelope were eight cards. So we were told at a certain point, you're going to take out your eight cards. We took them out. We took them in three different stacks and ripped them in half. Then we shuffled them all up. We shuffled them and shuffled them and shuffled them. And then we put them in two piles. And each time I picked up my card, one half of one card was on the left side and the other half of the card was on the right side. That went for all eight cards. Every time I picked up one half, the other half was in my other hand. And I just don't know how that happened. Wow. (laughs) Because I took them and shuffled the Dickens out of them. And there was one point even where he said, take a few cards out. And I thought he'd said, take two cards. But then I realized he'd said, take a few cards. So I'd only taken two. So I didn't 100% follow his instructions. Mm -hmm. So I just can't tell you how that happened. But it was really amazing. And he told a story about himself and his grandfather as he went through it. At the end, he said, and I was kind of regretting that you hadn't been there because I thought you would have really liked it. Yeah, I would have. He said, you know, I had to spend a lot of time by myself in quarantine. I had an accident when I was a kid and I was by myself except for my grandfather. And we formed this bond over magic. And I'm just hoping that this little time that we spent together will prove that there is a connection, that we each have a connection and that we made a connection with each other. And it was just so charming and sweet. And I did feel connected. I did really feel connected. Yeah, it's the perfect thing for the COVID age. It absolutely is. And in fact, that's what we're missing. He was just so simple. And the fascinating thing about it was the camera was on his hands. You couldn't see anything going on with the shuffling of the deck or the choosing of the cards or anything. So I just don't know how he did it but he did wow. it. And there's That's another amazing. show called The Future that is going to be going on at the Geffen. And the way this one happened, I think there were only 24 participants per show when they were doing it for the six months. So I probably have to wait till the finale to be able to get tickets because every time I went to get tickets, they were sold out. Mm-hmm. They would say tickets are on sale for oh. three months for the present yes. and then they'd all be sold out immediately. That's how it was for me, getting the mule ride. <laughs> but you did. But and finally. Did. And yeah. Finally. Because we persisted, but she persisted. She did. She persisted. (laughs) So there was that. That was very wonderful. And I kind of had a little glow afterwards, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to read or watch a film or this went on for, it was almost two hours doing this, which I thought it was going to be a half an hour. So I was really not prepared. I was very hungry by the time this was over. So I had something to eat. I came back and I'd heard about this movie called Dick Johnson is Dead. 
and you may have seen it on Netflix. You may have seen an advertisement for it. I've heard the title. They've been making their PR rounds right. quite a bit. This story, it's very hard to tell, and I'm not going to try to do too much detail because so much of it is so surprising. It's a story of a woman who's probably in her mid-50s. Her name is Kirsten Johnson, and her mother died of Alzheimer's, or her mother actually had Alzheimer's and was very far gone had a fall, broke her hip, and they didn't say this exactly, but that probably was what led to her ultimate death. Mm. That was eight years before she started filming this. Her father began to show signs of dementia and her siblings were in denial about it. They did not want to believe that their father was losing his memory and they tried to behave as if nothing was wrong, but they started getting phone calls from the father's secretary. He was a psychiatrist. He double booked a couple of appointments. He'd written somebody's prescription wrong. These were kind of serious things. And other people were calling the kids and saying, look, he really doesn't seem to be doing well. So so the filmmaker, Kirsten, went back to the house where she grew up, this big house in Seattle. And they decided that what they were going to do was sell the father's house and he was going to move in with her in her one bedroom apartment in Manhattan. And she is this incredible kind of life force mm -hmm. and has this wonderful humor about her. She got it from him. He's in his mid-80s, and he knows that he's losing his memory somewhat, but he's pretty much in denial about it, too. Mm -hmm. But at one point, they're walking through the house, and she says to him, are you going to miss this house? We grew up here, and mom lived here until she died. And he says, no, I get to be with you. So there's no trade-off whatsoever. That's what I choose. They move him in. They start this project. And the project is she is going to film all the ways that she imagines he could die. Mm -hmm. He could die from a fall. He could die from an air conditioner dropping on his head in New York City. There are many ways that she imagines him dying. And he is absolutely game for all of them. They have stunt doubles. They show you how the stunts are done. It's no less shocking to see what happens when it's all put together. Mm -hmm. And it allows them to talk about his death. Wow. and about death in general and about him losing his memory and wow. what that's going to be like for her and is she going to have to take care of him and over the course of I guess it's two or three years you do see that he's diminishing and mm -hmm. that he is losing his memory and yet they've spent this period of time making this film together and it's really been this precious set of moments that they've had and both of yours and my parents have long gone right. but it was just so moving to see that this father and daughter could come together in such a spectacular way mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there are magical parts to it too it's not all straightforward and it's done in very inventive ways. There are times when there's a conversation and the camera is on someone's feet, but mm -hmm. the camera will be drifting up a wall and you don't really question it. You're just kind of following where it's going. Mm -hmm. And it's so moving. It's so touching. Wow. And really special. Mm. So someone I heard reviewing it called it a gem, and I would say it really is a gem. Dick Johnson wow. is dead. Dick Johnson is dead on Netflix? On Netflix. It's that an hour and a half. Great. That sounds amazing. It is. Wow. Wow, I wow, think wow. I thought it was. I guess the big hand is on <laughs> it's on the nine. And the little hand's on seven. Oh. The little hands, I know, the little the big hands, hands on nine on and the big hands on seven. All okay. right. So long, boomers. <laughs> so oh. long. Stay safe. Oh, good. And okay. we will talk to you again in a week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. I